welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a unique guest sharing their story of how they got into offensive cybersecurity to hopefully motivate you and uh, give you some ideas of how you could get started in the industry. And so this episode, I'm happy to introduce my friend, Jeremiah Rowe. Uh, we met not long ago and we kind of actually this week co-presented at a financial services conferences. So he's got a really cool story, has a lot of great experience, and I hope that his story and wisdom will help you on your path. Welcome, Jeremiah. Hey, Phil. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure being here and certainly a pleasure uh, getting the opportunity to work with you on anything. Um, it's been it's been a blast from my experience in the industry so far. And um Certainly look forward to helping any of those viewers you have as well. Yeah, I appreciate you joining. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, you know, some of our viewers are kind of new to the industry or listeners. So maybe you could share about yourself, how you got started in the industry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so buckle up. It's a bit of a train ride. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, um, I first got started in the industry kind of on accident. In a way, I definitely shaped my path to go into offensive security, but um, let me rewind. So I come out of the Marine Corps. Uh, so I went into the Marine Corps out of high school, uh, right here from Texas, as I know you're from the area. Um, joined the Marine Corps, went for four years, got out, came back home and was doing that sort of transitional thing where I'm like, I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. And... Uh, so I start looking for work and I kind of, I, 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 I get a job doing, um, um, mall security for a bit and, uh, obviously, uh, loved it. Uh, viewers can't see, but I'm kind of rolling my eyes there. Um, I, uh, <laughs> then transition from that into being a, a doc supervisor for UPS freight, actually right out of Irving here. So Irving, Texas, there's a big, huge uh, UPS freight hub. And so you can think of it like um, each location in the United States has these kind of central hub where all the packages go to, and then it gets sent out from a distribution uh, perspective from that hub. And um, one of the bigger ones is down here in the DFW area, right outside Irving, where the old Cowboys stadium used to be. And uh, I was a doc supervisor there for a bit. So that means like working in the, in, in the Texas heat, in the Texas sun, no AC, 
hanging out on the dock, uh, sweltering inside of that because it just kind of holds that heat underneath the canopy. Um, and so <clears throat> my job was going out and trying to identify any uh, freight that might have been lost. And so I would walk the dockyard and open up every single trailer of the hundreds of trailers that were in that yard looking for any lost freight. And, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's uh, highly dynamic work. You know, walk to a new trailer, open a door, check, nope. Walk to a new door, open the door, check, nope. Walk to a new trailer, on and on. Um, so I knew I had to get out of that work and figure out what I was going to do with my life. And so um, one of the other things I did was I uh, was, a, um, was a tower operator, so a tower climber. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever seen those YouTube videos online where you watch those individuals with uh, sort of packs full of tools and they're climbing up the towers uh, to work on, you know, various components that are on the tower. So in this area, we worked on things like uh, monopoles, uh, which have the cell phone transponders on them, uh, receivers and, and transmitters. And uh, then we would also work on some of the stuff down in um, uh, down south here. Uh, that have the big FM, FM transmitters on them, the 1,500-foot 15, towers in South Dallas. Uh, and, and so what a lot of people don't think about when they think about these towers and climbing them and working on them is those things move. They don't stay still. You're climbing them, and they're wobbling. <laughs> and so if there's any kind of good wind that happens, uh, it's going it's, it's, it's to be unnerving. And I'll, I'll tell you real quick, if you think you're not afraid of heights, go do a tower climbing job for one day, and that will tell you whether you're afraid of heights or not. Um, there's another story there, which uh, I'll, I'll, I'll skip, but it's a, it's a, it's a funny one for sure. Um, and so after doing all of this kind of manual labor and, 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 and trying to figure out what I was going to do, um, I kind of realized like, you know, I've got to do something different. I don't know what it is. So I took about, you know, three months off work. Like, luck, luckily I had people around in the area to help support me during that time. And, and, and I took some time to reflect on what it was I was going to do moving forward. And I'm like, Hey, I want to get into technology. I want to get into doing it work. And so, um, I didn't have any experience uh, professionally doing that. And so, um, I decided that I was going to go try to apply for a bunch of jobs. And when you know it, I didn't get any of them. Um, so I went to go apply for a job at Geek Squad, and I happened to get that. Uh, so my very first uh, quote-unquote IT job was working for Geek Squad at Best Buy out here in uh, Irving, Texas, just off of uh, 635. There's a, there's a Best Buy right over there that used to be by, I don't know if there's a Fry's still over there or not, but uh, that was one of my favorite stores. Super bummed when it closed, by the way. Uh, there's a Best Buy over there, and that's where I first started. Um, but rewind from when I was a kid, I've always been enamored with technology. I've always, I've always loved um, the, the challenge of it. It's always been a huge puzzle for me and trying to figure out how things operate, how things work, all the interconnectedness of it. And, um, and, and so when I first got my computer when I was younger, the very first computer I ever got um, had Windows 95 on it. Couldn't tell you the model, but um, 
I spent every waking moment on that thing. We didn't have internet yet. This is back in the day when you still had those CRT, CRT monitors. Um, and so, uh, so catheter ray tube. And uh, <laughs> uh, there were no LCDs back then. Or if there were, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> I couldn't afford them. Um, and so in order to get on the, on the internet, I had to go to my public library to get on the internet. And so after working on my computer and then uh, doing some hobby-related stuff on the, on the public, public library computers, um, I ended up doing something at the public library that I shouldn't have been doing, which was uh, sort of stealing source code from other websites and making my own kind of website that most 12-year-olds shouldn't be making, and uh, got banned from the library for about a year. And so that took my internet privileges away. Um, and, uh, but I've always looked at it as a hobby, you know, I never really looked at it as an opportunity to have that as a job. And so, you know, fast forward again to where we were just at, once I realized like, hey, I could kind of do this as a job, I was, I was all in. And I kind of started at that point. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I've been to that Best Buy. It used to be right down from where I worked at in Irving. I worked for a mortgage company for quite a while. And one of the last, one of the, well, let's see, one of the last couple of Windows computers that I owned, I bought from that Best Buy. It was a gateway tower. The first, <laughs> my first flat panel monitor going from CRTs. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, those- so that had to be like uh early 2000s is before it was yeah early 2000s yeah those um those 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 crts man they were so they all had the flicker rate and they had the rounded perspective on them and it's and it's funny like like you never question what you got at the time you're you're like like oh man this is so great i love it you know it is what it is and 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 you don't you don't really question sort of but you look back at some of that stuff now, if you find a pristine CR2 or CRT monitor and plug it in and and try to try to go work off of it, you would probably have a lot of issues even trying to work from it, just because of the distortion of how things are put onto the screen, and it's so vastly different than what we have today. <clears throat> yeah, what's amazing at the mortgage company is that a lot of the people that worked in the mortgage, you know, worked in IT there, and then and later on into security. But a lot of the different mortgage processors and stuff, they had like the 20 inch or 24 inch uh, CRT monitors. And those things were kind of a pain for the the help desk guys to carry around or when we're moving desks. Those things are oh, pretty heavy and they're, wow. they're humongous. Those monitors were. It's actually good. You raised that. So, so that's that's kind of after starting at Best Buy, I then migrated over to uh, getting my first job in technical support. And uh, it was it was at another company over here called You Move Free. Um, started working for them for a bit, and and I worked as their technical support representative, uh, again out of Irving, Texas, Las Colinas area, and uh, was there for a couple of years, almost three years. And uh, during that whole time, I started you know going to school, getting my A plus certification, my Net plus certification. Started looking at Security Plus stuff, and that's when I really started trying to figure out in the industry, what it was that I wanted to narrow in on. Uh, because at that point, I'm, I'm like, I just want to do tech stuff. I just want to play with cool tech things. Um, and I had no idea what it was that I really wanted to do. There was another kind of pivotal moment 
while I was working for You Move Free, I had the opportunity to interview for another company out here at, at getting onto their network operations team. And I to- totally bombed that that interview because I, I had no networking experience. I didn't know anything about it at the time. Um, but I just remember thinking that was one of the coolest interviews I'd ever had. Uh, we went into their server room and, and they asked if I could strip down a Cat5 uh, Ethernet cable and, and then build a new one up. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> and they're like, uh, well, if we show you how to do it, will you be able to do it then? And I'm like, I can certainly try. And so um, they did. They stripped some Cat5 down and, and then put it into the new the new Ethernet clip and ran it in and stripped all the little uh, stuff down and cleaned it up. And, and you know, they timed it. And, and so they gave me the tools and I did it. And uh, ha- I tried remembering the color-coded sequence, like seeing it for the first time ever. Um, I got two of them wrong <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and went through that whole experience. And I just remember walking away after the fact, like one, knowing I'm not getting that job, but two, thinking, oh man, there's so much more to this field that I've just not even touched on. Um, and that kind of motivated me to really try to figure out what it was I wanted to do. Um, you know, so I'd been introduced to coding and I had been introduced to um, conducting hardware repairs. Um, one of the very first uh, hardware repairs I've ever done from a soldering perspective was on one of those old desktop um, desktop units. They're, they're, they're traditional desktops, right? So you've got your towers that generally would sit on the floor. And then you've got those kind of square three by, I don't know, three by eight, three by nine sort of desktop units that used to sit on the desk, but underneath your monitor or something. Uh, HP used to make quite a bit of them. Anyways, you open those up, they got a small form factor and you pull back some of the, some of the riser boards onto the motherboards. And um, that's where all the components are plugged in and all the cables kind of shove in underneath. Well, I remember we had one, uh, so basically I had no budget and I had no ability to even, you know, request new things. And so what we did have, I would have to figure out a way to fix it. If I couldn't figure out a way to fix it, then we would get something else that was also used again. Uh, but <clears throat> I remember I had gotten some soldering stuff and, and uh, on this particular unit, the fan just kept blowing and blowing and blowing and just wouldn't stop. And it was just this loud hum. And, uh, after hours of research, uh, I figured out. I narrowed it down to this little, um, to this, to this little, oh crud! Can't even think of what it's called. A capacitor uh, that was on the motherboard itself, and the top of the capacitor was was bubbled over, and so it was a bad capacitor. So I shut it down and uh, soldered off the capacitor, and then soldered a new capacitor on of the same model and type and everything, and 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 kind of hoped and prayed that it would work. Uh, luckily it did and i turned it back on and that fixed the fan issue and i was like explosions in my head like holy cow this is so cool well uh, fast forward from there uh we migrate to from here to uh to california and so i i when i was in the marine corps i'd already lived in kind of california before um this time migrate back to california with my family and um um, go to work out there and, um, I get hired on at yp.com for a bit and working at yp.com in their network operations center for a little while. And then a job came open in, um, information security on the InfoSec team. 
and um, <clears throat> got a job. Uh, well, I applied for it, went in for the interview, and the manager just kind of looks at me and he says, um, since you work here, you obviously will get a little bit of inside baseball here that nobody else gets, which is uh, I'm going to throw this down and you take a look at it and you tell me what you can answer out of these packet full of questions that we ask all of our candidates. And I'm like, crap. And so he kind of sets it down and, and, uh, and I flip through it. And it's all, you know, information security focused, CISSP stuff focused and um, questions around what you do from policy compliance all the way up to, you know, the various domains inside of CISSP. And so it was a large packet. And I'm reading through there and I'm like, I have no clue. I could probably answer half of these. Um, and at that point, you know, I'd already been working on the network operations team for YP for a bit. And so uh, he's like, okay. Um, he asked me a couple of questions. He's like, look, quite honestly, why should we even hire you? Like what makes you different than anybody else? And I remember that. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, you know, I think a lot of people would probably do a good job here. Um, but there's not a lot of people that have the same background that I have and maybe aren't as hungry uh, for knowledge and seeking this information as I am. And I bring, you know, direct Marine Corps experience. I've got leadership that I've built up from there. I've got um, drive, motivation, and uh, determination to try and excel in my career, whereas others may not necessarily have that. And so even though I may not know what a lot of this information uh, is currently, um, I can always go figure it out. I can always get you an answer and I can always dig to find the right way to go. Um, and so he's like, you know, thank you for the taking the time to do the interview. I walked out of that thinking that I had totally bombed the interview. Um, about three hours later, I get a call and got the job offered. Uh, so that's when I first got an InfoSec. Um, weirdly enough, there was another opportunity that was presenting itself during that time. Um, and this is really unique to kind of California. Um, at some point during that time, so I used to ride a motorcycle out there and, um, uh, I was riding back from work one day and happened to see some auditions for this new reality show that was coming about in LA. And I'm like, ah, I could go blow a couple, couple minutes auditioning. So I, I, I go into downtown LA and, or it's over by Hollywood. So it's kind of, you know, catty corner to downtown <clears throat> and, uh, drive in and I wait in line and the line went too long. And, uh, we go through and the show was called um, NBC Strong. And so <laughs> I looked at the premise of it. It was basically like, you know, uh, taking professional, uh, professional like, like uh, trainers and having those professional trainers work with people, you know, just everyday people who aren't, you know, professional trainers uh, from an athletics perspective and, um, and, you know, getting in better shape and doing a lot of challenges and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of fun, uh, especially since, you know, I had time in the Marine Corps and and um, felt like I could accomplish whatever they had going towards a physical perspective. And so um, I wait and um, I go through the interview 
And we get through that and uh, uh, I end up getting a call back. So fast forward to when I'm getting the job offer for the InfoSec job. At the same time, I'm also getting the final preparations done to be a cast member on this reality show for NBC Strong. And um, I had already cleared it with my other job, my other boss that I was coming from in the NetOps, the network operations team. And they're like, yeah, you can take three months off. No worries. You can come back, still get your job. Big deal. Uh, it's a really cool opportunity. And so we'll totally support you in that. Just they had a really large team. And, and so they, they were they were cool with it. Well, our new InfoSec team only had about four members in it. If you think about that, the size of YP.com. So YP.com was a $2 billion organization. Um, and they had four people on their InfoSec team. It kind of also goes to show how many people used to think about prioritizing cybersecurity as well. Um, but I digress. Um, so I've got this dilemma. Do I go to the InfoSec team or do I go in my Hollywood dreams and become a huge Brad Pitt actor, uh, star guy thing? <laughs> Obviously, you know, I'm not Brad Pitt. And uh, I, uh, I didn't think that I would have any sort of guaranteed uh, opportunities or moments. And so um, I made the decision <clears throat> to go ahead and move forward with my InfoSec side uh, because when I went to my boss, my new boss, he was basically like, you know, hey, it's a really unique opportunity. Unfortunately, we are so short staffed and have so many burdens on our plates that we can't, you know, go another three months without having somebody here. Uh, and so um, he's, he's like, if you do go that route, you may not have the job when you come back. And he's like, you know, really sorry about that. So I decided to go ahead and make that choice to do the InfoSec team. And, uh, and it was the best choice I could have made because I learned so much, both from, from that boss, uh, from that team. Um, that's where I got my OSCP. Uh, that's where I first started training, uh, to go into the offensive side of cyber and, uh, really have the time to focus on learning these unique skill sets that are required in penetration testing. Um, and then later, after I left that team, went to Booz Allen and uh, worked on their red team and then started developing the skills that are required for working on a red team. Um, how, do you, how do you live off the land? How do you go sort of low and slow? How do you set up a botnet inside of an organization? How do you um, how do you pivot from one computer to another utilizing, you know, what's on those computers as a modus operandi to, to continue forward without alerting the blue team that you're there? And then working in concert with a blue team uh, throughout the whole process saying, do you see me now? And they're like, no, do you see me now? No, do you see me now? Yes, got you, see you now. And then going back through trying to figure out all the, all the different kinds of traffic that you would, uh, you would generate uh, from that point forward so that they can develop indicators of compromise off of it. So it's a really unique experience. And that's kind of, it's kind of my background ultimately. And then I transition over to Synac at some point throughout there. Uh, very cool. Interesting. Interesting to hear your background, but it's kind of interesting too, to, you know, cause I knew you had shared, you were from the area, but it's kind of wild that you worked at one of the same Best Buys I used to frequent and the fries you mentioned over there, they actually closed, they closed all the fries in our area, but that was one of the, my favorite places to go. We'd go there a lot of times during lunch. Oh, I love that time. place, man. It was the yeah. best. Um, out where I'm currently at, there's like a micro center. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm out in the Virginia side now, just outside DC. 
and everybody raves about Micro Center and how awesome Micro Center is. I'm like, you people have no idea. <laughs> like, Fry's is the thing and is the place. Um, but yeah, man, I used to hail right out, right, right outside of Plano over here. I went to Pesh. Pesh! Um, <laughs> so Plano, Plano East Senior High um, is where I got my, uh, where I finished off my senior year. Oh, very cool. So, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are people trying to get started in the industry and this, and your story is a great example of how you got in. What advice would you give to someone that's wanting to get into offensive security? Oh yeah. Um, if you are listening to this and you're focusing on cybersecurity already, you've already sort of accomplished half the battle, right? And in, in, in narrowing down or identifying kind of what it is you're interested in. I had no clue. I didn't really have any mentors. Um, the, the, from my memory, the cybersecurity space or cybersecurity landscape that is today was not then, um, you know, what was that kind of 15 years ago? It, it was just not the same. And um, <clears throat> when, when people would try to, like, if you wanted help, you kind of just like had to know a guy that lived in a basement that knew a gal that that went to this and and it was it was like a weird breadcrumb trail of of oh yeah they kind of do some hacking but they may not speak to you because uh, well you know hashtag NSA and so <laughs> it was like I don't know where to even get started here really uh, so I went a huge roundabout way of getting to where I wanted to go. So my advice uh, for individuals is you do not need to go in a huge roundabout way like me or like you, Phil, or like others did uh, to get into this space and be successful in this space. Partner up with a mentor. Um, do some, you know, do some, do some searches online for, for InfoSec training, for cybersecurity training, for OFSEC training, for whatever it is you want to you want to pay pay attention to or focus on and then come to come to some of the conferences come to some of the shows get plugged in to those things that are happening around your area and become more and more part of the community because um, you know as that good old adage sort of says um, a community can make easy work of a lot of work or I don't know, it was a weird adage. Uh, but ultimately leveraging more people can help you get things done, right? Crowdsource your own education effort um, as much as possible and use their expertise. Um, you know, I know Phil does some, Phil, you do some awesome stuff um, with helping provide insight to people that are trying to find unique ways of tapping into the industry. And I would say, uh, you know, Phil, Phil, Phil's a great resource. Um, uh, jumping in and, and really just kind of leveraging those individuals who've already kind of paved the way a bit and figuring out the best way that they've done it. And um, if there's an easier way for you to get started, because there is, you know what I mean? Um, focusing on unique areas. Um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I think the OSCP is obviously a great start, but if you've never had any experience there, then that might be a bit more advanced than you want to start with. And so um, there are great free resources uh, available from Udemy um, online from uh, other, other various aspects like, like a damn vulnerable web app 
and damn vulnerable mobile app and, um, um, you know, tons of, of, of things that have been developed on GitHub repos that you can download and, and work off of from a vulnerability perspective. And there's bug ver- various, various bug bounty programs out there that you can also participate in to try to learn and refine your skills as you move forward. Yeah, that's that's some great advice. And I, I like that you shared the part about you don't have to go the same route we did. You don't have to spend all this time in IT and to get into the role you want to get in. I had someone just I've had a couple of people recently message me on LinkedIn and saying, you know, they've had people tell them I need to start out with Blue Team or either start a help desk or desktop support before I can, you know, become a pen tester or a red teamer. And that's not true. Yeah. I think based on my experience, and you tell me what if what your opinion is, I think a lot of these people are, are trying to mentor and help and they're sharing their opinions. And because yeah. this is the way they gained that knowledge, they think that's the way everyone has to. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that, right? Like, look, if someone went and retraced the same route that I took, do I think they would do well? Well, if they've got the same kind of mindset I do, then I feel like they would do well. Um, is it beneficial to go and do blue teaming before you hop in a red team? Absolutely. Is it required? Not at all. Uh, will you get more insight, uh, you know, acting like a defender before you ever hop into the, into the offensive side? Yeah. You'll get tons of experience. You'll be able to work from things that defenders are looking for. It's, it's kind of like doing pre-reconnaissance before you start jumping in and doing offensive reconnaissance. Because conducting, the more you know about the people you're looking for is the same concept that people know or utilize today. So know your enemy, right? So if you're on the defensive team and you know your enemy, then you can come to the offensive team and also know your enemy, which is the defensive side. And so you would know some of the things that they're looking for and how to avoid those things. You don't have to do that, though. You can kind of learn that. Um, in concert with your training from offensive perspectives. And you can get that from experience in operating in the field as well. Um, And so you can save a lot of time uh, just by coming in and honing in and focusing on and getting a mentor um, and focusing on the particular portions that you really want to learn about. So if that's defensive and the blue team side, awesome. Um, I think there's a huge talent gap shortage on that side too. Um, there's some really cool, unique opportunities from the defensive blue teaming side that just, you know, aren't highlighted today. Everybody wants to do the offensive stuff. Again, I'm on the offensive side. I'm a bit biased. I love it. But at the same time, there's some cool stuff happening on the defensive side, on the blue side as well. And so there's a huge talent gap across the industry, regardless of whether it's offensive or defensive. Yeah, that yeah, I agree with there's some cool stuff on on the blue team side because a lot of people like threat intelligence, threat hunting, you know, incident response. Those are some really cool areas to work in. And I think really it's kind of good for people to kind of evaluate the different disciplines within the industry. You know, go to some conferences, like you mentioned, go to conferences, set in on some different talks and get some ideas of different things. I mean, you know, you get some ideas on the way some offensive professionals work and stuff as well, but to get an idea of what the defenders are doing is good. Yeah, I completely agree. Like in addition to those talks, I know there are local, uh, local, local sort of DEF CON groups that get together as well in various areas. And that can be, 
you know, uh, you jumping into a community and then them helping you to introduce you to the community. And then like in my area, there's a thing called Nova Hackers. And that's sort of a small little <clears throat> regional group. It's not necessarily associated with DEF CON, but the premise is, is training, educating, and helping others learn how to present and talk and how to go through proof of concepts and teach others in the industry about this as well. So the premise is at Nova Hackers, you basically get, uh, come in uh, to the Innovation Center, which is out in uh, Reston area, Herndon Reston area, and a um, uh, group of folks get together. We all kind of sit into this uh, into this uh, meeting sort of presentation room, um, and there can be anywhere from you know a handful of folks to a large a large crowd. Obviously, not so much large recently, but still back when everyone was still going out, you could get quite a few people there, and um, <clears throat> someone someone presents. Um, and so I think the uh, the policy there is like after your you know second or third time, like like it's kind of your turn to present because you're, you're, you're the noob. Right. Um, but it also helps you, uh, come think about things from a training perspective. Like, um, the moment you get up and try to teach someone else how to do something is the moment you're going to realize, uh, whether you know what you're talking about or not. Um, and it's, and it's really good practice as well. Uh, it'll help you fully understand a topic more in depth than you would have otherwise, uh, because you work through those those promptings of, of teaching. And, and so you get in there um, and you do a talk and you present to this group of individuals and they kind of ask you in-depth questions and and how you got there and, and what made you think of this and what kind of perspectives were you focused on and thinking about. And it could be whatever project you want. We had a guy that, that did physics that came and was still interested in this part of the community and he presented on some mathematics that he was working on. There was another guy that came and presented a mathematician who felt like he had solved uh, the equation P equals NP, which uh, to put it in more direct terms is the uh, traveling, the traveling salesman uh, problem or equation. So essentially if you are trying to get to a uh, point, you know, FDGB on a map, in a linear fashion, starting with A and ending with uh, F, um, how do you get there quickly? And what's the most efficient route from a mathematical perspective for you to take? Um, and in order to be able to solve that, obviously exponentially across the board through a whole series of numbers, what's the most efficient route for you to take? Uh, that is a huge processing overhead from a computational perspective with servers and processors and capabilities, right? Um, <clears throat> and so uh, the traveling salesman equation, P equals MP, is a really well-known sort of mathematical problem in the, in, the, in the realm of mathematics. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I just happen to know about it because he did a really good presentation. <laughs> so <laughs> join, join those small groups and uh, try, to, try to figure out you know, how you can plug in and, and present on stuff and, and really dive in, you know? Yeah. I just wanted to kind of emphasize how important that is. Cause I've seen people in our community. One of the things when I mentor people, I really encourage that. I witnessed someone at our, our Dallas DEF CON group did a talk on malware analysis was a recent college grad and just so happened a hiring manager from 
Citigroup was in the audience and asked for his exactly. resume. Yep. yep. That's he, awesome. He went through his technical interview pretty much right there. He kind of proved what he knew and he proved he had good presentation skills. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I knew a guy at a city group that used to work over here um, in this region. Uh, funny enough, over in the Las Colinas area, city group has some of their technology offices, or they used to. Yeah. I don't know if they still do over here, but they yeah. still do. Yep. Oh, Awesome. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually, one of their campuses was like right over near where the mortgage company I used to work for was at because we were like the the first one in that area because the company was first rising to home loans. We eventually got acquired by uh, MetLife, by MetLife Bank. But we were over there and the road was called Horizon Way after the mortgage company I worked for. So we were like one of the first ones in there. And then City Group came in. A few years later, but they got a pretty good, pretty good sized campus over there, over off six thirty five. Yeah, yeah. There's a big, yeah. They've got a big campus over there. They had a little smaller campus off of uh, sort of the Las Colinas sort of um, uh, area that was off one fourteen, uh, in between one fourteen and six thirty five, kind of. I guess. Yeah, pretty cool area. They did their technology stuff. They had their infosec team that worked out of there, and I knew a couple of folks. Um, uh, one of the guys is now actually the uh, director of federal services for FireEye. So, really cool guy. He lives out in the area. He's part of the InfraGuard uh, community, um, which is another kind of cool thing to plug into if you want. If you're not familiar with it, um, InfraGuard. They've got some local stuff that happens out here too. Well, we're getting down towards the end of the jo- end of the show, and I would like to th- thank you for for joining it's 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 been great great to hear more about your background and some of the stories you shared and the wisdom for our listeners at this point folks we've reached the end of the joke thanks for coming on the show it's been a blast <laughs> thanks for <laughs> that a blast man thanks so much it's always fun it's a pleasure thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode thanks everybody BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.